The Gist is brought to you by Harry's, the new shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door, all at a fraction of the price of other razors. Visit harrys.com and use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, August 28th, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Be they scattered pictures of the smiles we left behind or left alone in the moonlight, memories are a powerful force that drive, inform, console, or haunt us. They can awaken you at night. They can allow you to remember the time you knew when happiness was. And now they can be reversed for just $19.99. Add extra for rust-proofing and undercoating. No, it's not the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. It's a new experiment done by researchers at MIT. It was published yesterday in Nature, the journal Nature. Not just published in Nature, like thrown in a forest. They put it in an actual magazine. So with apologies to the cats that we have been quoting a second ago, the experiments were done on mice, and the scientists successfully rerouted the circuits of their brains, and they changed bad memories to good ones. How can scientists tell mice now have good memories? Well, in surveys afterwards, the mice reported how awesome it was when the scientists rewired their brain circuits. Yes, said one mouse. Looking back, I can recall my scalp being split with a scalpel and electrodes running into my brain. It seems like a really fun time. You'd think you'd hate it, but I loved it. Like the first time you eat calamari or attended a Rush concert. So in all seriousness, the researchers wired up the mousy hippocampus, and then they sort of reversed the streams, so you could interpret it as turning good memories to bad. That seems kind of grandiose. I think what really happened was they tricked a mouse by firing a laser into its brain. I will read you an actual sentence of the Wall Street Journal write-up of this experiment. Quote, it isn't practical to fire lasers into human brains under a similar setup. Yeah, good to know. So obviously, if someone lived through a terrible trauma, rewriting that memory is humane. But in general, I do think we are the sum total of our good and bad memories. And if the bad memories are reversed, won't that just make us less wise? Won't that scrape away some of the necessary texture of our lives? If we eradicate the bad memories, won't we keep making the same mistakes over and over, getting into land wars in Asia, electing presidents? residents from the same family giving Jim Belushi sitcom gigs? Well, I declined to have this operation done on me. So today, we're going back to the past. In the spiel, a favorite of my youth, maybe of your youth. Not even a favorite TV show, a favorite interstitial between TV shows. It was the shot heard around the world. It was the start of a revolution, you could say. But first, he played a parrot, a cyber bird, a spokes duck. He tells filthy, filthy jokes all the time, with his eyes only partly open. Plus, he loves old stories about Hollywood. So I'm sitting here with a man who needs no introduction, or maybe a better way of saying this, I was thinking about it, if uh, he were to go on 60 Minutes but have his identity concealed, but the thing that screws up the voice didn't work, he'd be the most immediately recognizable person around. You'd be the worst FBI witness. Yeah, yeah, basically, uh, if I went on there, the CIA would assassinate me in two seconds. (laughs) That's maybe their plan all along. Yeah. (laughs) They've heard heard some of the jokes. (laughs) They heard the Hefner roast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, of course, Gilbert Gottfried, who has a list of credits uh, as long as uh, his arm and my arm. But I want to talk about his... As long as my penis. (laughs) I've done two TV shows. I don't want to sell you short. (laughs) So Gilbert has a great podcast. In fact, it's an amazing, colossal podcast. And he talks to... 
comedians and people who love old showbiz. So at first I thought, okay, this is, there are a couple comedian podcasts. It's either comedians talking about their feelings. That's, uh, that's yeah. not this one. <laughs> My feeling is, can I get the hell out of here? Wanna... Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's comedians, you know, riffing for an hour and 15 minutes and maybe like four or five jokes land in that hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I figured out after, you know, six episodes in, I'm like, I get what the theme of this podcast is. It's your obsession with movies and old showbiz and kind of everything 1974 and prior. It's awful, too, because it's like I make out a wish list of people I want on the show, and each week I have to cross off names. Like <laughs> You're saying the Grim Reaper. Uh, Comes yeah, in. yeah, double yeah. booked. In yeah. fact, we were originally going to call the show the Before It's Too Late show. <laughs> but then it would be hard to get guests because you'd have to go up to them and say, hey, you want to be on my podcast? Because I, I think you're going to be dead soon. You have a booker and you have an actuary who's working yes. the table <laughs> saying, mm, well, you know, Pat McCormick's a smoker. <laughs> yeah, like if we see vultures circling a house, we better rush and interview that person right, right so, away. And I, t- I also think, Lee, you know, if you go through the list, maybe Billy West is the youngest guest oh, you've had yes. on. And so I would imagine that a big conversation after Would You Like to Be on My Podcast would be, now let me tell you what a podcast is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I barely know. <laughs> I, I know the term podcast, and I figure you watch it on your computer, I guess. <laughs> on the show, I interviewed Larry Storch from oh, yeah. F-Drew, yeah. who's like 92, and he wasn't the, the oldest that, so was that Marty Allen? Was Marty Allen oh, the oldest? I think Marty Allen might have had him beat. My parents, I was just talking to them yesterday. I was like, oh, yeah, we saw Marty Allen in Las Vegas. Great show. M- Marty <laughs> Allen still works. Yeah, he still works. And he was working it on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, Marty Allen said something funny in that his act is clean and that yeah. his act's always been clean. And that's one of the reasons Ed Sullivan likes him. And you said, can I, will you tell a joke to me that, you know, you, that he told you that was a dirty joke and yeah. he wouldn't do it? That, that's so funny about these people in the business who've been in the business for years. A lot of them, like, I heard dirty jokes from Henny Youngman yeah. off stage, And I've heard a lot of dirty jokes from Marty Allen. But, boy, you try to get him to say it in front of an They still... Like, the guy's like uh, 200, yeah, and he still feels like, well, I've got this image. <laughs> I, I could get blackballed from the Sullivan oh, show. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who was it who flashed him a, a, a middle finger? Oh, and that, oh was uh, it Jackie, Jackie Mason? Mason. And, and that really did happen. Yeah. And it was banned from the Sullivan and show. And I watched that clip, and he yeah. really didn't give him the middle finger, but uh, it was, yeah, he was going... Because someone was uh, giving him a finger, the index finger, to wrap it up. Right. And he was going, you know, this guy's pointing this way and now he's pointing down and he's pointing upwards and he's going this one and then this hand is over here. And uh, and Ed Sullivan thought this was the worst thing ever. John Biner, who I should have on the show. I yes. I love to show time. Bizarre with yes. John Biner. Great show. John Biner told me he was on the show when Ed Sullivan totally lost it uh, that night on uh, Jackie Mason. And he said that Ed Sullivan was going, why, well, you cocksucker, you motherfucker, 
you go to my fucking show and and you uh, you're gonna you're gonna put the fucking finger up there. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the history of entertainment, has there ever been a bigger square than Ed Sullivan, who was as important a tastemaker and kind of cutting edge with the axe he broke? Yeah, and and his whole personality was his complete lack of a personality. Why did that work? I don't know. It it became his personality that he was completely had no talent whatsoever. He had no delivery and he felt uncomfortable on camera and that's why his <laughs> arms would do these spastic moves like a robot thing. They'd move back and forward and it looked like some machine and that became his personality. Yeah. I guess, you know, if you don't have a personality, at least be distinctive. And if everyone does an impression of you, you know you're doing something that's oh, not right yeah. but memorable. And back then too, there were people who controlled everything. And Ed Sullivan was one and you'd have like these people like um Hedda Hopper and um Oh, who? Oh, Walter Winchell. Yeah. And who was the other one? There was Hedda Hopper. The other big gossip columnist, right? Yeah. 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 There was one that she was in competition with. And those were like the three. Yeah. And, and, and they it, destroyed lives. Yeah. Like like with a, with a with a phrase, you know, confirmed bachelor, that's it. That everyone oh, knows that yes. guy's gay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and it's like if you uh didn't bow down to them, if you saw them, they would they would kill you. Yeah. And now they'd be meaningless. Right. They'd be like like every single person in the world has a blog and has a Twitter account. Like who cares? Right. Um now I wanted to ask you about comedy and I wanted to connect it to your love of old uh, showbiz. It does strike me that in the old days, there were definitely more of the comedian who really was his persona. Like Buddy Hackett just was Buddy Hackett. He wasn't a guy who told jokes. Yes. He was this character named Buddy Hackett, Henny Youngman. And you're a little more like that than you are like Louis C.K., you know, a guy who'll go on stage yeah. and, you know, people will say, I, oh, yeah, I could totally see that I've guy. I've always no, said... I'm, I'm the new buddy hat. Like, hey, lady, where you get that hat from? <laughs> but when you were coming up with comedy, was the idea to, all right, let me think of 100 great jokes, or obviously it was, but crafting a persona. That was part of... Yeah, yeah. I never consciously worked on it. It's like whenever people ask me about that, I always feel like, to me... I've been doing it a bunch of years, and then one day you wake up and go, oh, I've been doing it this way for a long time. And it's kind of like, to me, it's like stopping someone on the street and going, hey, you know the way you walk and you carry your coffee cup and you kind of swing your arm and then you pronounce things as, how did you work on that? You know, it's <laughs> like they didn't, they just... Uh... Part genetic, part... Yeah. Now, the most common kind of question that you ask on the Amazing Colossal Podcast is you get a guest who probably knows, you know, Dick Cavett was maybe talking to someone or Larry Storch, as you say, and the question goes like this. I heard that once, insert name, Chad Everett, McCormick, I heard that once, crazy story, is that true? Now, my question to you is, do you want confirmation or do you want all these crazy tales that you heard to be true? 
I want them to be true. Yeah. I, I've heard so many, and I want them all to be true. What is the one that's confirmed that was so awesome that it was true? And what was the one tale of uh, showbiz lore that has been demythologized that really yeah. hurt you? Like the modern day ones are bullshit, like the Richard Gear with the gerbil. Yeah. You know, because he had a... you know when one's not true when you hear it with six different celebrities. Oh, oh, the one that always annoyed me also that happened with every single black celebrity uh, was in an elevator. Uh-huh. You know, just fill in the blank. If you wrote it down, you'd say fill in black celebrity. And this was like a white couple is on an elevator, and a famous black celebrity says, hit four, and they hit the floor, thinking he's a black guy uh, robbing them. And why are the hotels always booking the black celebrities on the fourth floor? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> you figure the manager of the Hilton leans yeah, over and like says, listen, Amos we've and had, Andy we've are had some trouble. Put them on sex. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um... So it was Billy West who used the phrase about him, but I wonder if you've said it about yourself. Well, he said about you, born too soon. Oh, yes. Or was it born too late? Born of a different generation that you feel more connected to things like Lon Chaney and Silent oh, yes, than even things of your generation. It's kind of like I, I was watching, you know, now one of those cable channels, they had um, Bionic Woman on. And she has to protect a nightclub comedian <laughs> played by um, Donald O'Connor, <laughs> who's a nightclub comedian. There's a hit on him from the mob. And the mobster is this old character actor, Don Gordon. And I was watching it. And it was, of course, horrible, as all those 70s shows were. The music. The acting, the filming, yeah. the stories, they were all horrible. But I remember thinking, God, I would have loved to have played either one of those <laughs> characters, either the Donald O'Connor part or the Don Gordon tough guy. Or the bionic woman. Oh, the There's bionic woman. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I want to ask you uh, one more strain of questions. You've done so much uh, work in cartoons, often playing a bird. How many bird characters have you played? Oh, my God. I, I just recently, on an episode of Big Brother, they they built a gigantic penguin <laughs> to shout the orders to them, and they called me as the voice of the penguin. You're the bird. But was your first bird in Aladdin, Jafar's uh, bird? Yes. Now... Robin Williams was the voice of Genie, but I don't know. Did you have any scenes together? Uh, there may have been a scene where he like zaps me or something. Yeah. But we even even when you have scenes with the other person, uh, you're just reading your lines. Right, right. But had you uh, worked with Robin Williams I, at all? I had never worked with huh. him once during Aladdin. I I've bumped into him in the clubs all the time because. The the thing about Aladdin that I think is true is that that was the first where Disney went out and got a celebrity, or two celebrities, yeah. the case may be, and they animated around him. So so oh, Robin yeah. Williams would improv. Now, does that ever happen with you? Do they say? Do they? Do you see like either the visuals reflecting your voice, or do they ever say you riff and then we'll animate? Well, in in Aladdin, they did have a video camera on. 
and uh, they'd film the way you moved around uh, your facial expressions and actually animated it yeah. to that. Whereas you see these really awful cheap cartoons where it's like thick line, the mouth is thick line, thin line, thick line. <laughs> I still think if they did Aladdin a year later, the only person I could see being in it would have been Robin Williams. After that, it became major stars. Yeah. And then when you watch those movies and you hear it with the major stars, you're going, does that really make a difference on a cartoon? Is the seven-year-old saying, yeah, I'm really buying Oprah Winfrey as Charlotte's. And that was the worst. I think Charlotte's Web had everyone who wasn't supposed to be a voice actor as a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the little kids are, yeah, aren't going like, oh, he's got Morgan Freeman in there, actually. Yeah. Well, he could have been the penguin instead of you. He could have been. He was yes. worked with penguins. Yeah. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is up. It's out. It's everywhere you hear a podcast. And his Twitter account is at Real Gilbert. And my website, GilbertGottfried.com. You said already. So right. See, I don't listen to And his to telephone it. number is 917 <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Hi, The Gist is sponsored by Harry's. Harry's is a company that will ship you great razors at a great price. They even bought a German factory to make their razor blades. That's commitment. A German factory, right? This is not some Belizean factory. This is not some Peruvian factory. This is not some factory in the Dutch Antilles. It's a German factory. Means some serious razor blades. So, just listeners can take advantage of what Harry's is offering. And what Harry's is offering is a great deal. For 15 bucks, you get a razor, you get moisturizing shave cream, and you get three razor blades. And I'll tell you, the razor blades, they're very durable, almost German durable. I use them all the time. By all the time, I mean twice a week. But it's a really good shave. Could be the best shave I ever had. Could be the best shave for the price I've ever had. I'm going to certainly stand by that statement. Here's the Harry's deal. You get $5 off if you type in the coupon code THEGIST with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and enter coupon code THEGIST at checkout for $5 off and start shaving better today. And now the spiel. Huge news out of Hollywood. Brad Jahula? No, I'm not talking about the Pitt and Jolie wedding. That is not what I was talking about. Although, Pitt and Jolie do have children. Let me see if I can name them off the top of my head. Uh, Maddox, Pax, Zahara, Zax, Shiloh, Flaxseed, Vivian, Xerxes, Knox, Mookie, Applejack, Pinkie Pie, and of course, little Kermita. Actually, with that many kids, maybe the Jolie Pitts need to pay attention to the real entertainment news that I'm talking about. ABC has announced that this fall it will unveil a primetime special on Schoolhouse Rock. Yes, this Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cars that get most of my job done. 
If you were of my generation, this was formative stuff. It inspired, informed, and entertained. We Gen Xers soak this stuff up on a Saturday morning, little morsels of information in between crappy cartoons where the apes were grape and the phantoms were purported to be funky, but the funk coming off of them was the noisome variety at best. We were schoolhouse rock viewers, but also schoolhouse rock evangelists, singing the songs in schoolyards, interrupting our teachers in song if they ever tried to read the preamble of the Constitution without doing it to the proper melody. Did we ask for this? No. Did we cherish it? Yes. We didn't land on schoolhouse rock. Schoolhouse rock landed on us. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. I will now give you the taxonomy of Schoolhouse Rock songs. First, there were the math songs. Schoolhouse Rock actually started because an ad executive noticed his son knew every Beatles lyric but couldn't multiply. So they created Three is a Magic Number. They eventually sold the series to ABC. Michael Eisner was the exec who bought it, in fact. Now, Three is a Magic Number. That's good. It takes three legs to make a tripod or to make a table stand. It takes three wheels to make a vehicle called a tricycle. But in the world of today's media, it, in fact, all of Number Rock fails to stand out. There's Team Umizoomi, which is a show on Nick Jr. There's just so many videos like this one. Let's learn to count by fives up to a hundred. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Number songs and number concepts are everywhere. The Schoolhouse Rock Grammar Rock oeuvre faces a similar problem. The songs are good. A 25th anniversary survey named Conjunction Junction is the best schoolhouse rock song ever. But what's the concept it's trying to convey? And, but, and, or are conjunctions. You don't really need three minutes of swing and jazz to get that across. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Yeah, that's true, but what else? The schoolhouse rock video and song on this subject, if anything, muddles the question with references to flora and fauna and examples that are superfluous. Oh, I took a train, took a train to another state. Schoolhouse Rock made its name and established itself in the upper pantheon of kids' programming with its civic and history lessons, what it called America Rock, the Constitution, No More Kings, Suffering for Suffrage, and of course, the magnum opus of the genre, the free bird of Schoolhouse Rock, I'm Just a Bill. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee, but I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. This song is immediately accessible to anyone between the ages of 45 and 31. Younger than that, you may have seen it parodied on The Simpsons, The Daily Show, 304 Family Guy episodes. It is so influential 
that the bill in question, which was to compel school buses to stop at railroad tracks, has actually been adopted in most state legislatures. Now, many of the laws that were passed came after the I'm Just a Bill song on Schoolhouse Rock. Coincidence? Or was it seven-year-olds sipping high C before Scooby-Doo growing up to be elected to the state Congress? They couldn't pass legislation to regulate Fangface. They couldn't allocate resources to refurbish Dynomut. But damn it, they could look at that sad little bill waiting there on Capitol Hill and declare, congratulations, Bill, now you're a law. And that is it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is in charge of producing Slate Podcasts. Her other charges include Gummy Sue, Normal Head Joe, Tiffany, Heather, Cody, Dylan Dermott, Jordan Taylor, and Kubert. Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcasts and proud father of birthday, Crystal Meth W, International Harvester, Jitney, Whitney, Mary Zeke, and Melvis. You can listen to SoundCloud. You can go to iTunes. Andrea tells me we have 512 Yo subscribers. That's awesome. People know that if you sign up for a podcast on Yo, the moment the podcast hit, you get a little, well, what do you get on Yo? You get a Yo. We're on slate.com slash gist email. And if you go there, you can sign up for the email that gets into a little more detail than Yo but also does arrive in your inbox immediately when the show is posted. Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. And our Twitter feed is Slate Gist. Email the gist at Slate.com. Just wanted to end the show by giving a shout out to my children, Romulus, Remus, Beavis, Darth Grievous, Emmett, Kennesaw Mountain, Bo, Luke, Daisy, George Foreman, George Foreman, George Foreman, Matthew Modine, Tito Latoya, Boutros Boutros, Milo, Otis, Theotis, Scientific Majestic. Put that down. No, yours is the purple one. Jaden Juicebox. And thanks for listening. I'm David Plotz. This week on Slate's Political Gap Fest, we're joined by special guest Dan Carlin, host of the brilliant Hardcore History Podcast. Find out what history Carlin thinks was made this week. That's on Friday's Slate Political Gap Fest. <laughs> <laughs>